Welcome back to another episode of the Unlearning Podcast. My name is Ashley Lynn Hengst, and I am your guide and your coach on this unlearning journey away from toxic theology towards a healthy understanding of Christianity. With each episode, I help you learn to love Jesus and your neighbor through healthy, life-giving theology. Today we are taking a quick pause from Margaret Farley's Seven Norms of Healthy Christian Sexual Ethics to talk about some gray matters, some gray issues. When is it the right time to have sex? Should sex be saved until marriage? What does the Bible say about casual sex and hookups? How does all of that fit into Farley's seven norms for just sex? Now, I know that this topic can be uncomfortable for a lot of people. Thinking about these things isn't easy, especially if you grew up in a generation where topics like this were forbidden to even speak of. But I want to encourage you to listen all the way through. Even if you aren't thinking about these issues, someone in your life is. And it's important that as people of faith, that we respond to our friends and loved ones in healthy, life-giving ways. And so let's begin. First off, when we as Christians talk about marriage and intimacy, we tend to use the term biblical marriage. We pursue biblical marriage as if the entire Bible written by many authors has only one point of view on what God-ordained union can and should be. The term biblical is problematic. It doesn't make any sense since each biblical writer had a different point of view on God, sin, what sin is. They had different points of view even on salvation. Take, for example, the Apostle Paul and James, the blood-related brother of Jesus. Paul asserted that salvation came by faith alone. James wrote that faith without works is dead. So which is it? Does salvation come by faith alone, or does faith need to be accompanied by works? One could argue that both men complement each other in their theology, that works demonstrates a heart full of faith. But that would be oversimplifying a massive difference. These two authors have two different statements about faith, and for good reason. Paul was a Jew's Jew. He fulfilled the works that he had to do according to the letter of the law. James, very much like his older brother Jesus, did not care so much for traditional Jewish law and believed that good works must accompany faith. James wrote that true religion is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So this idea that all of scripture has some consensus on every topic, topics like marriage and salvation, it just simply isn't true. Each author writes out of their own contextual theology, their own theology informed by their own personal context. When it comes to the topic of sexual intimacy, it is usually discussed within the context of marriage. And marriage in the Bible, if we're looking at it literally, like at face value, marriage in the Bible is all over the place. Most of the patriarchs were polygamous. Most of the kings of Israel were polygamous and had multiple concubines. 
Hagar was a concubine. And if you look at the root word of concubine, you'll see that it actually means slave. This is not complicated. It's problematic. Abraham, the father of our faith, had a wife and a female slave whose body he used to bring forth an heir. Even though polygamy was not as common in the Jewish culture in the time of Christ, it is never condemned in scripture except for Solomon, who married multiple foreign wives. We are told that Solomon's demise was not the multipleness of his wives. It wasn't about the many wives he had, but that they were foreign, that he was influenced by so many foreign wives. The most compelling passage in scripture that many people bring up when they want to defend this idea of quote-unquote biblical marriage is Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus said, Have you not read that the one who made them at the beginning made them male and female, And for this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And that's where we stop. People take that passage out of context to assert that heterosexual monogamy was the only righteous model for love and romance. But we often ignore the context in which Jesus said this. Jesus was not in giving some ultimatum on the only righteous model for romance. Jesus was condemning petty divorce. Matthew 19 begins with this. So the Pharisees came to him and to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? This is important. And so after explaining at the, the importance of commitment and faithfulness, Jesus explained that Moses allowed for various reasons for divorce because, and I quote, you were so hard-hearted, end quote. Jesus then explained, but I say to you, here is Jesus doing some deconstruction. He's deconstructing their toxic beliefs about women in marriage, that women could be discarded for petty reasons. Jesus said, but I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for unchastity and marries another commits adultery. End quote. Here again, Jesus' emphasis on commitment and faithfulness. This is the only area of intimacy Jesus had something to say. For anyone who has committed adultery, it is not the end of the world. Remember the woman caught in adultery? Jesus said, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. With Jesus, there is grace. In Christ, there is mercy. In our Savior, there is strength and courage to get back up on the horse and try again. There is no mistake, no sin God will not forgive. Other than this topic, our Lord had nothing to say to the effect of what is biblical and righteous marriage. If anything, biblical righteous intimacy, according to Jesus, is faithful and full of integrity, and that is not exclusively experienced between a man and a woman. And so given that faithfulness is all Christ really had to say about love and intimacy, let's dive into some of the gray matters or the questions lurking in the gray areas of Christian sexual ethics. Are Christians supposed to wait until marriage to have sex? 
Where does it say in the Bible that we have to wait until marriage? What happens if we don't wait? In evangelical Christianity, we are often told that we need to wait until marriage to have sex. But there is nothing in Scripture that supports chastity before marriage. There are passages in the Old Testament, however, that condemn women for not being virgins, specifically Deuteronomy chapter 22. According to Deuteronomy chapter 22, if a woman is not, and I quote, found to be a virgin, her husband is allowed to submit her to be stoned by the men of her town. So this is very handmaid's tale, got a very handmaid's tale feel to this. But this rule is not the same mandate for men. There are no rules about men being virgins until marriage. And since we know God treats us and loves us all equally, regardless of race, class, or gender, we know to interpret this problematic passage within its patriarchal context. Mandating the virginity of women in marriage was an unjust way of sustaining male dominance, specifically in childbearing and in marriage. Those laws were unjust, and they were unjust then, as they are unjust now. Because of the incarnation, because God was with us, we understand Christ as being a God of of equality. Remember that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Even Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And so because of Christ, we know that every member of the Trinity is equal. Each member of the Trinity is equal in essence. The Father is equal to the Son, who is equal to the Holy Spirit, who is equal to the Father. Men, women, non-binary people, we are all equal in value and dignity, regardless of what we do and do not believe. Evangelicals who condemn sex without marriage often point to the New Testament verses about fornication, specifically 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 18 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 18, the, the verse states, shun fornication. Every sin that a person commits, they commit outside of the body, but the fornicator sins against the body itself. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 states, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication. The original Greek word for fornication is porneia. Porneia does not mean fornication in the sense of sex without marriage. The word porneia is where we get the word porn from, and it implies illicit sex. The word porneia specifically means the selling off of sexual purity. So the word is less about sex without marriage and more about sex in prostitution. Prostitution, according to the Greek New Testament vocabulary and context, is allowing others to use one's body as a means of consumption for profit. That has nothing to do with having sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Remember that Jesus never said anything about sex without marriage. Jesus only warned about adultery and focused his warning on married men looking upon women as objects. And so knowing that fornication means porneia, or selling one's body for profit, we can assert that there is nothing in Scripture commanding that both people need to be virgins at the beginning of their romantic relationship. Let that sink in. 
There is nothing in scripture commanding chastity before marriage or chastity without marriage. And yet we teach young adults and singles that they have to wait until they're married before they have sex and that they have to get married if they want to have sex. This kind of theology, what ends up happening is that many people get married even when they're not compatible just because they want to have sex. This is not wise. The best thing we can do when it comes to these gray matters of sexual ethics is to consider what is wise and what is unwise. Wisdom and foolishness are experienced on a continuum. Just read the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is full of guiding principles that can help you be wise. They aren't promises to a painless future. They are guideposts on how to practice wisdom in life. Sometimes you're trying to be wise, but because of a lack of experience, you come across like a fool. Kind of like when you enter into your first relationship and due to your lack of experience and lack of maturity, you take everything your partner says as either they absolutely love you or they absolutely hate you. In our first relationships, we tend to put people on a pedestal and they can do nothing wrong. But with maturity and experience, we begin to experience the blessing of our partner's humanity. And we begin to learn that our partners are human too, and that they love us imperfectly. And that imperfect love is good enough. There doesn't have to be fireworks every single day for a relationship to be good and healthy. You don't even need to be married for a relationship to be good and healthy. We grow in wisdom through living life, not avoiding it. But then there is another side of this wisdom continuum. Doing things you know are unwise and doing them anyway. We act like absolute fools when we lie, cheat, or steal. There are no gray areas around the Ten Commandments. Lying, cheating, stealing, and committing adultery are wrong and have always been morally wrong. I once heard Nadia Boltzweber describe the Ten Commandments as a reflection of the fact, and I quote, that God loves our neighbors and wants to protect them from us. Therefore, we should not lie, cheat, or steal as a way of protecting our neighbors. And so given that there is nothing explicitly in Scripture condemning sex without marriage, here are some guidelines. You do not need to be married to have a healthy sexual relationship with someone else. You can be in a loving, committed relationship with someone and experience healthy, fulfilling, just sex according to Margaret Farley's Seven Norms. I would go so far as to say that you don't even have to be in love with someone to experience healthy sex with them. Love doesn't always come quickly. Sometimes love comes softly. Love takes time to form and mature. The growth of love and commitment should not be sped up because people want to have sex. As long as there is a respect for each other's autonomy and relationality, and you are in an official relationship, people can experience healthy Christian sex. I say and highlight underline the word Christian because people who have sex in their romantic relationship without marriage are still people of faith. They are no less holy and no less worthy of belonging in our Christian communities. 
Christianity and the experience of faith in sex is not limited to those who are married. Healthy Christian sex can be experienced by two people who are in a romantic relationship where they respect one another's autonomy and relationality. So when should someone begin their sexual life? When should someone who is a virgin begin experiencing sexual intimacy? First of all, when you begin is none of my business or anyone else's. And if you are having conversations about this topic in a committee at a church, just remember that you are discussing someone's sex life and you are putting yourself where you do not belong. When you begin your own sexual journey is none of my business. It's all up to you. And it is not the business of your parents or clergy or the people in your church to tell you when you can and cannot have sex. The only advice I would give you is to wait for someone who respects you and whom you respect, i.e. someone who respects your autonomy and your relationality. That relationship might come along when you're 18 years old, or it might come along when you're in your 30s or 40s. You never know. But don't settle for less. Wait for someone whom you respect and who respects you to begin your journey in sexual intimacy. If you didn't have a good first experience, don't worry. It only gets better. But if you haven't begun this part of your life yet, please wait for someone you respect. My prayer is that we are all surrounded by elders, people who we trust, people who we can talk to about how to begin this part of our life safely. And we should all aspire to be trustworthy people whom others can come to for advice on how to do life safely. The evangelical culture teaches abstinence and chastity before marriage because they believe that sex without marriage can lead to unwanted pregnancies, sexual harm, sexual abuse, and STDs. And this is true. The evangelical church is not wrong about everything. Having casual sex can lead to unwanted pregnancy, STDs, and sexual harm, regardless of what you believe about God. This can happen. But it can also happen in a marriage. Unwanted pregnancies happen in marriage too. Sometimes sexual harm and sexual abuse happen in marriage too. The difference is when you are in a committed relationship, hopefully there is enough mutual respect to stop harmful behavior, to learn and to stay engaged as we grow and mature as a couple. Growth, change, and respect are not commonly experienced in casual sexual relationships. Casual sex and hooking up aren't necessarily morally wrong. That needs to be understood. Casual sex and hooking up are not morally wrong. It's just unwise. When you have casual sex with someone and you have no romantic connection with them, then you are teaching yourself to separate your mind from your body. Doing this once or twice doesn't necessarily cause harm, but doing it repeatedly, having consistent casual sex with multiple partners over time can lead to serious harm. With consistent casual sex, you are essentially using the other person as a means to an end. It does not make you dirty or filthy or unlovable or unvaluable. It just makes it harder and harder to connect your mind, body, and spirit with someone who you are actually in love with. This kind of deep communion is difficult when all you have are these memories and experiences 
of casual sex. No matter how long we've been in relationship with someone, we should always be cultivating a deep awareness of the dignity of our partners. There should be a deep respect for the imago day in the person you are in relationship with. In her book, Shameless, Lutheran minister Nadia Boltz-Weber describes dignity as the quality or state of being worthy. And she states that this comes from our origin, not from our efforts. The evangelical culture has taught us that we lose our essence, just a little bit of who we are, every time we have casual sex or bad sexual experiences. I've heard youth pastors liken or compare sex to removing petals in a rose, and that each time a person has sex without marriage, they are removing a petal in a rose. The message being, who would want to marry a rose with only a few petals? This analogy is usually directed at girls, teen girls, and this analogy is entirely toxic. It's not true at all. The amount of sexual partners and sexual experiences you have without marriage has nothing to do, nothing to do with your self-worth or dignity. Hear Nadia Boltzweber's words on the topic, and I quote, Many of us have learned from church that we become worthy through being pretty and having a quiet spirit if we are a girl, or being confident and a strong leader if we are a boy. We try to mold ourselves and our behavior and our weight and our hairstyles and our facial expressions and our personalities into the shape we thought God wanted us to have, as if we could earn what has already been given to us. The Imago Dei cannot be harmed, much less removed. What a weak view of God to suggest that the very image of God could be destroyed. Women are not that powerful, neither are men, and neither is the system of male domination and sexual harassment. End quote. Please hear Nadia's words. The image of God in you cannot be harmed by casual sex or sexual abuse or STDs. What a weak view of God to suggest that it could be. Even when we behave in ways that aren't wise, God still loves us. Even when we have bad experiences in love and intimacy, we are still clean, we are still good, we are still worthy and valuable people. Nothing about us has ever been destroyed. We might need to get some help to think through and heal from bad experiences. But the image, the presence, and the blessing of God is still within you. Healing from sexual harm is possible. Healing is possible, even after years of disconnected sex. In addition to getting professional help through a trained psychologist, healing can happen when you find a loving partner who loves you unconditionally. It is through real and genuine love that the many parts of who we are can find healing. And it is often through love that we mature and grow and evolve into happy sexual beings. In her book, Shameless, Nadia also compares purity with holiness. She states that holiness is about union with, and purity is about separation from. End quote. We should not be encouraging one another to pursue sexual purity. Our sex lives cannot be about what we are separated from. 
If we lean into that idea, we will lean into that kind of separation in other areas of our lives. We will begin to see people and things as either pure or impure. We do not need to separate our minds from our bodies to be healthy, ethical people. We need to pursue holiness. Real holiness is not about being high and mighty and separated from those who are less holy. Real holiness, according to Nadia Boltz-Weber, is, and I quote, the connection of things human and divine, the unity of sinners, the coming together of that which was formerly set apart, end quote. I love the idea of pursuing this connection of what is human with the divine. Nadia insists that when, and I quote, two loving individuals, two bearers of God's image are unified in an erotic embrace, there is space for something holy. What was separated has come together. Two spirits, two bodies, two stories are drawn so close that they are something together that they cannot be alone. There is unity. End quote. This kind of unity of spirits can only be experienced in loving relationship, regardless if the couple is married or not. And so I want to affirm that and encourage you to pursue that kind of holiness in your relationship, that kind of coming together, that two bodies, two stories, that unconditional love and acceptance for another person and their parts, even the parts of them that are hurting and need healing. So when is the right time to have sex? That is entirely up to you. It is wise to wait until you find someone who respects you and understand that this kind of romantic relationship can lead to love, but you don't have to wait for love to experience good and healthy sex in your relationship. Should sex be saved until marriage? Again, that is entirely up to you. What does the Bible say about casual sex and hookups? Absolutely nothing. But modern psychology tells us it isn't wise. Years and years of casual sex and disconnecting your mind from your body causes harm, but it should never lead to shame. Healing from sexual harm and sexual abuse can be experienced through lots of therapy and and opening yourself up to someone who loves you unconditionally. This kind of love is hard, but it is not impossible to find. With God, nothing is impossible. With or without marriage, the seven norms of just sex can be experienced on a continuum. Without love, justice is limited. But with love, justice can be experienced to the max. We should all aspire to experience justice and love to the max. I hope this episode was helpful for you and that you found a lot of food for thought. Next time, we'll finish Margaret Farley's Seven Norms of Just Sexual Ethics and explore more about what Bell Hook says on the topic of love. Until next time, this is Ashley Lynn Hangst, and you are listening to The Unlearning Podcast.